you have to identify the stakeholders and it's the old WIIFM. What's in it for me? For each of those people, they're not going to move forward unless they believe there's something in it for them. And you have to literally walk them through it. You know, I have three stories off the top of my head. You know, one was director of production didn't support it. One is where the controller didn't support it. One is where the CEO didn't support it. Oh, I have one with a project manager. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. ERP vendors and resellers race in a competition that no one will ever win. It's the time required to implement ERP software. Most vendors will oversell how quick and easy their software package is, some even claiming to implement as fast as a month. These claims are nothing but overstated. The most challenging part of an ERP implementation is to make critical business decisions and build consensus. Some executives might change their entire business model instantly without thinking through the consequences. And while others might take forever to decide the base currency and the decimal places they should use for reporting. Building consensus for ERP projects is a true test of leadership. It requires skills and experience. The savvy leaders have figured out how to manage at the 30,000 foot level without losing touch from the ground. But what do leaders do differently to build consensus and not concede to an organization's power struggle and political elements? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss how to build consensus among teams. We covered many grounds, including the challenges entrepreneurs face with their leadership skills during ERP implementations, why sales skills are most crucial for team members to build consensus, and why team building during acquisitions is even harder. Finally, we covered several stories related to building consensus among teams. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital uh, transformation, and we always have an expert panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. For today, we are going to be talking about one of the most religious and emotional topic, and hopefully we get emotional uh, during the show. And that is going to be how to build. And if you can really build the consensus as part of your ERP projects, most likely your ERP implementation is going to be successful. In my experience, that is always the first challenge. So we are going to dig into all of that. Uh, but before that, we are going to start with everybody's intro. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta. I am principal at Elevate IQ, and I have been doing uh, ERP and digital transformation engagements for roughly 20 years, and I still don't have any answers on how to build consensus. So hopefully these guys can teach. Today, as part of Elevate IQ, we are the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. We help clients with the ERP selection, contract negotiation, enterprise architecture, system architecture, ERP project recovery, and ERP inventation. On that note, I am going to move to Chris for his intro. So hi, I'm Chris Giardini. I'm the president and owner of Turnkey Technologies. We've been implementing Microsoft Dynamics ERPs for almost 30 years. So, you know, consensus, big topic. It's the it's the backbreaker. If you don't have it, you lose. Look forward to talking about it. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Uh, Bob, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Sam. 
Bob Feathers, I work for Bindable. We are a SaaS provider in the insure tech space, enabling our clients to alternate distribution of insurance. But I come here with over 30 years of manufacturing experience, client relations, finance, operations management, and ERP implementation. Glad to be here. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Bob, for uh, being here. Chuck, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? I'm having tech problems today. Hi, my name is Chuck Coxhead. I am a 35-year manufacturing professional, having done everything in manufacturing, including sweep the floor, drive the forklift, drive the nails, and sell the product. So hopefully we are going to build some consensus today. Thank you so much for being here, uh, Chuck. Uh, Dave, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Sure. Thanks, Sam. Hi, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting company called the Chrysler Club, where we work with leaders in the manufacturing, construction, and cannabis spaces to help them create the systems they need to grow their business and uh, come to you with more than 20 years of uh, operational experience in manufacturing. So excited to talk about team building and uh, consensus when it comes to ERP implementation. So thanks for having me, Sam. It's going to be so much fun. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. So Chris, I'm actually going to start with you uh, with the first question. And this is really going to be story. Okay. So stories of, I don't know if you're going to have any sort of nightmares that you might be able to share or just because of not able to build the consensus, something happened to the ERP project, maybe it failed or, you know, it was not really the problem of the tool or the vendor itself. It's really the, the communication and the collaboration problem. Do you want to share that story? Absolutely. Thanks, Sam. So, you know, there's a a wonderful graph that I saw about ERP implementation. It's like the love cycle. And they show us everybody's in love and everything's great. And then we start curving down and then it gets ugly and it gets worse and there's hate. And you hate the partner and you hate each other. And then it gets better. So if you think about that cycle where everybody starts out excited and so forth, but to, to consensus and you think about how well everybody's on the same page for a project. And, you know, so the nightmares, the horror stories. But if you think about what consensus means, it means that, you know, if I'm the owner of the company, I decided and everybody's like, okay, nobody got to participate in the decision. It's his decision. I hope it fails. And you can imagine this this tension that it creates when decision making is not spread across an organization, to put it that way. And you think about the horror stories where decision making is centralized. And there's techniques, and I'm sure we're all going to have some different opinions on it, but the word is change management. And a lot of times, and I know how my teams are, they're technical professionals, financial professionals are like, let's get the system in there. But they don't think about people. And they don't think about emotion and they don't think about the age demographics. They don't think about people's fear and they don't think about any of those things and and the opinions. And, um, you know, so what happens? It it can unravel. Um, Again, I'm not going to get techniques. Um, Sam wanted some horror stories. So, you know, one of good example of where um, consensus can fall apart is when you have turnover in staff. And again, I think there's two things. There's representation, meaning do I have an adequate representation in the organization and even what we call process owners, you know, if somebody owns inventory or somebody owns manufacturing, somebody owns finance. And and the assumption is that these process owners can lead their team and get consensus within these smaller teams. At the same time, a disruption in that team structure can can draw, can have consensus fall apart. And again, the horror story I had is we had the uh, the champion, the controller, walked out in the middle of the project. And the controller is the one that wanted the system. And guess what? And then the, then the leadership came in and said, oh, I don't know if we should do this. $50,000 into the project. So it's a horror story. There's committed expense. Yeah. And you had a decision, you had a vision that was in a middle management position. So executive level really didn't buy in. The controller bought in. The controller left. The people that were below the controller, they're clueless. The people above the controller, they were never fans of the project. But there's a perfect example where we didn't have enough broad consensus through the leadership team to the management team and then even down into the processes. But that's that's a perfect example of one where staff turnover undermined um, consensus in a project was all centralized in one individual. So very interesting story and the commentary as well. And one of the key things that I noticed in a lot of client base that I worked with, and I'm probably going to be guilty of it as well. As the entrepreneurs, especially if you are looking at the SMBs, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, they know everything. They know everything for everybody. Okay. (laughs) So when you are, I don't know whether you experienced this or not, Chris, but when I work with the founders, especially if anybody is going to be in that one to $20 million range, in that range, you don't really have that team participation. Um, You know, CEO is going to come and they are going to say, hey, I can decide for it. Everybody, they don't need to be here. They don't need to waste time. Uh, And everything is going to be good. Now. In this approach, sometimes that could be beneficial as well because the team members might not have as much experience. The founder does not want them to be involved in the decisions about financials. That's why they don't feel comfortable having those people as part of the team. But from your experience, let's say if you were the the founder or the entrepreneur, would you involve, would you not involve, 
And if you involve, what will be the best practices in your experience when you are going to be involving these? In the sure. Program? And I and I think one comment is just because you let people participate doesn't mean that their their comments influence the decision making. So you know, it is an executive leadership. You know, I can entertain people, and part of this there's some psychology management going on here. But yeah, you absolutely include them, and I think that the, the earlier you include people in the process, they feel like they're part of it. They may not own it. They may not. You may not even be considering their decisions, but they feel good about it. And I think that so that technique of incorporating them. And again, in the end, I decide. Thank you for your opinion. I decide what I'm going to do. But there's a technique here, and that's what we're talking about. And absolutely, you incorporate those people and make them feel part of it. Like I said, it's easy to do. It really is easy. Okay, very interesting. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Uh, so, Bob, I'm actually going to come to you. I'm, I'm simply going to build on whatever Chris said. So he said that you know what. It's okay if you don't want to involve them in the decision making, but at least let them participate. But the challenge when the entrepreneurs, especially if they might not have as much ERP implementation or touch on the ground floor. When I say touch on the ground floor, sure, you are the executive, you are sitting in the building, you are doing a lot of things, but you don't know the life of that user. And from their perspective, it's a very, very different feeling in terms of the daily life that they are going through, they have to decide for themselves what works best for them because ERP implemented or ERP system is supposed to be making their life easier. Executives are probably going to use it, but they are not going to use as much. So do you agree that decision-making should be done? Let's say if the, the team is not going to be as qualified in decision-making and the executive team does not feel that, they should be part of the decision-making. Sure, they can test, they can, you know, play around, but the major decision making will be done by the executives. In your experience, what would you recommend? My experience is the executives should almost not be involved. Um, <laughs> and, and again, not in a bad way. So yeah. in my experience, what it's been is it's somewhere kind of in the middle, right? But it's high middle. And the way my experience is, is that you do a little, that person does a little bit of both, right? So it's kind of a managing up. You're working with the executive team to really talk about the strategy. What is it we need to kind of overall accomplish? What are we trying to get from this? Um, and again, not tactical, right? It's a strategy. Like what, what do we hope to gain? What problems are we trying to solve at our company? Some are very simple, right? Some could be, we don't have ERP. So that's a problem. We need ERP because we have spreadsheets and this and that. So we identify we need ERP. Or I have ERP, but it's 10 years you know, past the due date and I just need to implement a new one. So the, it could be a very simple goal saying, we need to implement the latest technology because we have a really outdated technology and keep the goals simple. But again, at that high level of strategies, it's kind of like, here's what we need to do. And then the lower, you know, that kind of middle person says to manage that and saying, here's what I need from you executives. I need, you know, you to, to, if I have roadblocks or I need resources or I need these things, you're kind of reaching up to them and saying, this is what I require to be successful. You need to support this, yes or no. And if it's no, then you kind of go, you know, what do you want me to do? Then it's going down below. So you do want to keep people involved. You want to treat it early as you can. My experience has always been, if you just say, hey, guys, what do you need or what do you want to do? Of course, they'd be like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm, you know, I got to do. So you have to have a little bit of both. And usually what it is, is you provide a bit of structure behind it and say, hey, I know we need to solve this problem. I've talked to a bunch of people. I know you're struggling with this. Or I know you guys do all these ancillary things, Excel or spreadsheets. So one of our goals is to eliminate all of the you know ancillary outside things. We want to leverage our ERPs. So you provide them some kind of framework and then try to provide them maybe some guidelines and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. What are your thoughts? And then you kind of get their inputs and you help to frame it. So they're kind of involved, but at the same time, you're not just saying, hey, what do you guys want to do? Because they'll just kind of look and just go, I don't know. You know. So again, it's a little bit. So back to my, the, so the answer to the question is, I think it's somewhere in the high middle and they're kind of managing up a little bit, and then they're managing down, and you're kind of, that's one of the ways you can start to build consent. Okay, amazing, uh, Bob. Thank you so much for those insights, and I think, you know, we have to test the comment that Gary is trying to make, so I think he has a very interesting comment, and he's saying that, you know what, when you are involving the users, the user should be testing the system, not the IT. IT is supposed to be more of the educator. They are not supposed to be the the driver uh you know of the system but it's typically the other way around okay business users are very rarely involved in the implementation in my experience it does everything they make decisions for the whole team and then finally nobody uses it <laughs> so bob i, I don't know you are, are you going to have any story or comments on on this one i love my it team i love them dearly they are not driving my project sorry it's got to be run by the business because, again, yeah. it's the middleman, right? That middle person, that ERP 
expert is really you're kind of two roles, right? You're a little bit of the business analyst. You're, you kind of understand the business. You understand the business needs. You understand the user experience. And you kind of know all those components. And what's your job to do is be the liaison between the business and the IT. IT doesn't know the business. No offense, but they're, they're really smart. And they're coders. They really know the stuff. And you say, go do this. They'll do it. If you give them bad instructions, they'll build things that don't work. So going back to Gary's point, he's absolutely right. IT should not be testing it. It needs to be the user. When the user goes in and says, like, should it say yes, no, or no, yes, or how does this work, or what are the question order in? Does it make sense to me? The IT guys will say, yeah, I built this thing. It works. The business person goes, like, I don't understand why this is ordered this way or this. So, again, it's really the business person. You kind of have that piece. You translate it into the business system knowledge of where those things need to work, and then give it to the IT team say, go build this and then we'll go and test it and then we'll go your feedback loop. So again, love IT, but they shouldn't be running your project. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Bob, for that. Uh, so Chuck, I'm actually going to come to you and I am going to have the question that Gary is asking. And he is saying, hey, you know what? You need to prepare folks for an ERP. And when I look at, uh, let's say, if I compare an experienced team, for example, let's say if I have Dave Chrysler or Bob leading my ERP project, I don't have to coach a lot. They will understand, you know, how SKUs work. They will understand uh, how bombs work. What is going to be the difference between the make to stock, make to make to order processes. But let's say if I am working with somebody, they have never seen an ERP in their entire. Probably they grew as the warehouse person or the inventory forecaster. Somehow they survived as a business by overstocking inventory or whatever. The market was good enough that they never had to worry about cash <laughs> or the inventory optimization. Okay, so in your experience, how would you prepare a team for the ERP implementation? Because that requires years and years of training and education. Well, it does require someone who has a deep and broad understanding of all of the processes, which is rare. And that's really your champion. But really, when it comes down to it, I draw upon my sales experience. You have to identify the stakeholders, and it's the old WIIFM. What's in it for me? You know, for each of those people, they're not going to move forward unless they believe there's something in it for them. And you have to literally walk them through it. You know, I have three stories off the top of my head. You know, one was director of production didn't support it. One is where the controller didn't support it. One is where the CEO didn't support it. Oh, I have one where the project manager didn't support it. I, I have all of these different stories where they were all roadblocks because they didn't understand what's in it for them. In every single one of those cases, they were coming off of paper and spreadsheets or in the controller's case, QuickBooks. Uh, everything's going fine for me. I'm able to do everything that I can do, but that person doesn't understand the value to the others. So having that champion who can address what's in it for me in each of those roles is huge. It's a sales process everything's a sales process, believe it or not. You have to figure out what their objections, what their reservations are, figure out what the value proposition is to each individual, how it's going to make their life better. One of the things they don't get is, folks, you got to go on vacation. How in heck is this company going to survive what you do because you're this important when you're on vacation? Oh, well, I don't have to worry about that. I'm on vacation. Really? Well, that's an HR problem. And wouldn't change management be so much easier if we didn't have employees? So we don't want to go there, though, do we? So, I mean, that's really what it is. It's, it's you have to dig deep, but that champion has to be able to understand and be able to sell to those people. A salesperson on your ERP team may be able to do that, okay? But you might have a junior person who's their primary point of contact who really doesn't have a clue about all those processes, but they might be one heck of a... So it's a real challenge. Yeah, so very interesting commentary there. And one of the things that I always experience and notice is, especially for people who have never been in the sales role, it's very, very, very hard for them to develop those. And in my experience, the sales skills, and when I say sales skills, not selling, uh, it right. means the, the communication right. skills, you know, how mm -hmm. to really look for what the other person is expecting. That is always the most difficult skill to develop. But Chuck, since you like the, the, the sales play so much, uh, so we are going to do a little bit of role play here, okay, sure. in terms of sales. So, <laughs> sure. so uh, let's say, you know, you have a person who's coming off from QuickBooks is what you have, okay? Mm -hmm. In my experience, when I am on the other side of the table, meaning I am trying to persuade this guy that, okay, if you are on QuickBooks, you know, ERP is a much bigger deal, okay? 
I may stop right there, uh, you know, but if let's say if you had to persuade, and sometimes it could be very, very, very difficult. I have a lot of stories, uh, you know, with me as well, why they struggle to understand why ERP really brings. So let's say if you are doing a role play with this person who is coming off of QuickBooks and they just don't understand what ERP brings to, how would you persuade them? Well, first of all, I have to understand what's motivating that. Some people are just resistant to change. Other people really, truly don't have the technology skills and they have a, an almost a phobia about it. And you have to be able to figure out from those people from each person, honestly, but let's say the, let's see the finance person. Okay. What is your motivation for your resistance? Um, you have, it, it takes questions. Okay. What is it that you feel you're going to lose? Okay, that's really what it comes down to, right? What are you going to lose? We focus on what we're going to gain, but if I really want to get under the hood of that fear or resistance, I have to understand what they're going to lose. So, well, I'm going to lose control. I'm going to lose my authority. I'm going to lose, you know, my seniority. I'm going to, I'm just cruising into retirement. Okay. Why are you upsetting my apple cart? I'm going to lose my cool. What are they going to lose? And you, you really have to get down deep into that. And honestly, you're not going to do it by putting them on a couch, like a psychologist. And that's above my pay grade. Okay. It's going to take an awful lot of conversation and it's going to take a lot of questions to really understand. But in the end, in the end, you may not overcome the resistance and Everyone on these ERP projects is Missouri. Show me. You're going to have to lay it out. You're yeah. going to have to show them what it looks like. And oftentimes, that's the only way you're going to get them to come along. Go, okay, all right, I don't have an argument against you. I'm going to let you keep going. And then you have to prepare for the next thing you're going to show them. And that's what the role playing looks like. If you can't get there, you have to roll up your sleeves. You have to understand that process or you got to find an expert and you got to lay it in front of them and say, this is how it works and hold their hand. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chuck, for that. So, Dave, I'm coming to you, and we are going to be doing a little bit of showing here, as uh, we all know that this is what we like to do in this panel, right? So, uh, I'm pretty sure you had to convince a lot of people and building consensus <laughs> when somebody is coming off of, let's say, QuickBooks or a spreadsheet. Sometimes, you know, it's mind-blowing, to be honest, when I talk to these people, and when I have to convince them, hey, you know, this, this is spreadsheet, uh, I may not have a lot of arguments there in terms of why ERP is going to be better. Because obviously we all struggle. But let's say if you had to convince somebody why ERP is going to be better versus QuickBooks, what are some of the techniques that you have used in convincing them why ERP? Is yeah, I mean, thanks, Sam. You know, yes, I've, I've uh, throughout the course of time, have had to uh, get several people on board with uh, change, uh, change management, system change, all of that. And, I, you know, there's been so many great comments in terms of, at what point to get people involved in in some of those techniques. I mean, some of the things that uh, worked well when I was put into those situations, kind of back to what Chuck was uh, saying about, you know, really understanding the stakeholder that you're talking to, you know, their reasonings for um, why they may be resist resistant to that change. Um, the one story I could really talk about, and, and, and there was a lot of similarities to what everybody was talking. So I, th I think it kind of uh, does a good job of answering your question and, and um, you know, sharing a little bit about a specific situation. But I worked for a company that did many acquisitions. And so it was very frequent that we would have a, a facility that we recently acquired uh, that was coming out of QuickBooks or out of some other type of uh, accounting slash operational system that was currently in place from uh, the previous ownership. And so from a, a corporate standpoint, we were uh, kind of tasked with getting them onto our uh, corporate ERP system. And uh, so as you can imagine, uh, you know, many people in that process were <laughs> resistant to change from accounting to uh, shipping. So we touched all of those areas. And the stuff that worked the best was really talking about the advantage of going from a QuickBooks style accounting system and or something similar from an operations standpoint. It's really the access to data, right? That's what we're really talking about, your ability to aggregate, to um you know, and to ultimately utilize that data to drive operational efficiency throughout your entire operation. That's, I guess, the simplest way to say it. Um, and I used to like to start there because so often throughout these, you know, kind of like discovery conversations back to where Chuck was going, you know, you'd find out like, boy, it'd be so nice if I could do this. Well, 
how can we do that? We've we've got the data in the ERP. We now can pull that data out of the ERP. We can, you know, streamline the process to be able to include, uh, you know, this data from one department to the other department without having to do an export and an import. The data is already in there, you know, like stuff like that. I mean, it was it was those little, um, you know, those little opportunities to find a way to impact their kind of daily existence, right? Uh, that was the easiest way to get people on board. And now, when when we shift to the actual implementation and we start to get that system online, um, uh, Gary had mentioned uh, as far as like who's doing the testing in IT versus you know the actual people utilizing it. Uh, it was a really good point because that was another pain point for people, especially if you were coming out of a system like QuickBooks or something that was not uh, nearly as uh, powerful as a typical ERP system because you've got a lot more menus, you've got a lot more um, you know role access to control. Uh, so, you know, that was a, a, you know, that could be a challenge. So what we would do in that particular case, as soon as we kind of understood what the business requirements were, we build out the test environment and get people into a, a, a testing routine. And as features would come online, uh, we would put that into the test environment and let them test their, you know, kind of streamline operations. Here, run what you typically run from a process standpoint in your existing technology, and let's duplicate those same activities in the test environment, and let's see what, you know, problems kick out so we can, again, fine-tune the system as we're implementing, but uh, also get users familiar with, you know, all the clicks and, you know, what the menu options are and those types of things. A little bit for you. I don't want to take too much. Yeah, very interesting. So we are going to be covering the acquisition and acquisition is a very interesting problem because building consensus when you are going to go through the acquisition phase is going to be 10x harder. Okay, they, I like to compare ERP implementations with weddings because for weddings, I, I guess there is going to be a 50%. So, uh, the same goes for acquisition as well. <laughs> To be honest, I mean, and uh, most of the time it is really going to be because of the ERP implementations that, you know, they just don't work. So one of the problems that I have personally seen in the case of acquisition, for example, let's say if the manufacturing business is trying to acquire a distribution. Now, not many people understand the difference between a manufacturing ERP system and a distribution ERP system. They are supposed to be very different. Okay. Obviously, when you are a distribution business, let's say if you are doing 80% distribution, 20% manufacturing, it gets very confusing. You don't know what you should be doing. You know, you just buy something. So I'll give you a story uh, related to this acquisition. So in this particular case, there was a company, decent size, $80 million, million company. They were primarily distributor. They did a little bit of manufacturing. They were always on, and this is nothing against any specific system, but I am simply going to use examples here. So in this particular case, they were on N4 Visual. Bob might not like this. And then the other team actually came from NetSuite. The team that came from NetSuite, they absolutely hated N4 Visual. There's nothing wrong as such about N4 Visual because that is supposed to be more of the manufacturing software. The team was primarily very commerce driven. They were a distribution organization. NetSuite is designed for distribution. When they married together, executives decided, you know what? From today onwards, everybody in Port Visual, go. <laughs> now, when you have to build this consensus, when you are marrying the two organizations together, that actually grew in grew up in a very different How would you build the consensus as the executive? So I've been in a very similar spot multiple times uh, because of the company I worked for and, and how they grew. And it wasn't so much that the businesses were necessarily as separate. Uh, but there were definitely considerations where we, we we had to build that consensus when the system maybe wasn't the right fit, uh, but that was the decision that was made. So that's what was going there. And, and that's what we were doing. And in those cases, uh, again, I, I kind of go through. Uh, the same process that Chuck really laid out because it's really a sound thought process of understanding what, uh, you know, what was uh, going on internally for those stakeholders. And, and in some cases, it resulted in more work on the IT and development side to make some of the processes happen the way that they needed to from a user interface side. Um, so I kind of make the make the point back to, you know, where Chris and Bob started this whole conversation uh, is the fact that 
the best ERP implementations, the most successful, the longest lasting uh, ERP <laughs> uh, implementations, if we're using the marriage uh, comparison. But the best way to do that is to, to, to engage the people that are using the system and doing the heavy lifting day to day. They understand the process that they need. They understand the business use case for it. And yes, layering in IT, layering in the executive management team, uh, all of that stuff has to happen. But when you shoehorn something in that is not necessarily there to fit uh, for, you know, from a process, a business use case, what have you, um, you know, be prepared to spend more dollars on the development side uh, and you could be spending more internal resources to close, uh, you know, sales orders, work orders, depends on what the processes are. But you could really be, uh, you know, penny wise and dollar foolish, I think is the best, you know, kind of summation of that, because you're looking at it from the standpoint of saying, well, here, we already have this system in place. We want it to be a part of, you know, our infrastructure where if we just siloed this piece out and because ERP is so powerful, we pull the financials out that we need and blow those right into our, you know, let's say in this scenario, our corporate ERP, we, we would have we would have had the same result from a data standpoint, from a financial, uh, you know, capability standpoint. So we could have still ran all of it that way. But from an operation standpoint, we would have been much more streamlined, much more efficient. And I think in the long run could have could have saved some uh, saved some money. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So, Chris, I'm actually coming to you. And uh, we are simply going to build on the topic of the customization that uh, Dave just mentioned. And we are also going to be building on the other aspects where whether we should be involving the users or not. So, sometimes uh, when you are going to go and involve the users, what they are going to do and, and say is they don't really have as much experience with ROI, to be honest. And that is the fear that the executives have that these guys are going to be demanding way too much and they don't really understand how to spend money. So I will tell you a couple of horror stories from my experience. And I have seen like, you know, millions and millions of dollars of disasters. And sometimes the company actually went bankrupt just because of those implementations. And you know what, what they try to do? They try to replicate their prior experience, meaning make the new ERP look like the old one. Now, when you have to build the consensus and you, you need to coach these, hey guys, you don't understand how to spend money. I know what you are trying to do. I knew your processes, but you need to relearn. You need to do the, how would you build a consensus when you have to uh, handle this issue? Sure. And, and a few things that you threw up there. So in terms of users input on this, I think my perspective is validation of the processes. Yeah. And, and even as we do our analysis and design phases, what's called a dynamics app. We're looking at the business process execution and dynamics. We're not looking at how they did it. The ultimate. So part of this is validation that that process, in fact, checks the box and satisfies that. And so to have a user that's lower down to witness that and say, okay, looks good, but it's not, it's not to conform to the legacy. We totally agree. That is the wrong approach is to try to wrap an ERP about bad processes. It's about best practices and really looking at the out-of-the-box functionality before you take an approach that, hey, we got to go in and cut. Um, a couple other comments. Hey, Chuck, the QuickBooks reason, the hidden reason they don't move is they can't cook the books as easy with a new ERP. So I had one company says, oh, we're not going to QuickBooks because we can't make all the cool adjustments. Anyway, throw that one out. So if you're a QuickBooks user, you know that there's a huge risk in that platform. But to address a comment you made about acquisition and, and to tap on what Dave said is, you know, change for the purpose of change isn't necessary. And I walked into situations where if we've got a strong line of business solution, and to your point, to suck out all the financial aspects, and I think you look at the systems, the incumbent systems, what's uniquely really works well for business process management. And then we pull out the common features. Case in point, a little medical company, about $100 billion, bought another one of my medical device manufacturers running Dynamics, and they're on SAP. Instead of telling these people, you got to move to SAP, SAP really wasn't the best solution to run their medical device manufacturing. Guess what we did? Probably a million bucks in integration. Hello? Okay, guess what? The user experience was preserved, and it was the best practice line of business solution. So to create the, the integration, I've got another guy that thought because he's replacing his ERP, he gets to replace his e-commerce. He can't find a better e-commerce. Integrate it. So, you know, there are technical options. And again, as you look at change just to change, now I've got another group that's doing acquisitions. There's no question that they move themselves onto this platform that I sold for the purpose of consolidating lots of acquisitions into that application. But the short-term approach is still what Dave said is we integrate the GL, 
into a in a general ledger and the whole subsidiary ledgers are still sitting in the legacy platform. So you can buffer people a little bit. I think there's reasons where you would do that, where I don't need to change it. It's working well. They're very efficient. Another example is uh, is engineering departments where we're trying to integrate CAD systems. We have a tool that can integrate lots of CADs. We don't have to force that change because there's huge cost. So just, again, you have to carefully look at the line of business application to decide, is it worth it to integrate it, leave the users alone as productive as they are, or screw everything up and hope that they get back to the productivity levels prior to the acquisition? Okay, amazing. So I am actually going to build more on the customization aspect. And uh, Chris, you don't like to call yourself the sales guy. You like to call yourself the programmer. So we are going to review how to build consensus with programmers, right? So here, when you look at the programmers, I mean, they always have tendency to sort of think that programming is easy, okay? And it is probably easy because anybody can program. But when it comes to looking at the the tracking of cost, uh, you know, budgeting for program, it's very, very, very hard. So when you look at things like integration, customization, okay, IT is always going to be passionate about, you know what, I can customize anything. Okay, I can do anything and everything. Whatever you want me to do, I can probably do it uh, inside the system. There are a lot of different open source ERP systems. Okay, and the claim of those systems is, even though they might not have any out of the box, but you know companies are buying them because you can do whatever you want with it. But if you did this, you can probably write that in any programming language. You probably don't need an ERP. So let's say if you had to build consensus with the IT team and the developers, and you have to coach them why ERP exists in the first place. How would you build the consensus with? You, you know, you have sort you know, and I've got, I'm a comp side guy, so I don't believe in building a financial application because they're off the shelf. And so I really do keep IT out of those conversations, frankly, because they're the last people that I want to talk to. And, and the professionals and the people that are doing business process should really identify where gaps exist and how to remediate those gaps. And then we figure out if we need a technical person to, to program a gap. But, you know, business intelligence and gaps, and I'm sorry, but I may be an IT guy, but I really do lead them out of the conversation because fiefdoms and, oh, I want, and they're looking for job security. And it's not normally strategic in the best interest of the company because they take them down a path and you get an open source system. The owner may not know that it's not gap compliant anymore. And what kind of journal entries? And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, so again, I'm not a big advocate of, of people being able to do changes unstructured, like I said. So, um, but to build a consensus, like I said, I think just to focus on the business processes and, and to go all custom, I, I don't agree with that necessarily. I think you're looking for those gaps and you're trying to figure out well, what's the right solution to, to deal with gaps and functionality that you need. Customizations are an option, but again, that's the, that's the last thing that we're going to do is bring the IT guys into the conversation. Sorry. Hope I'm not offending anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Chris does not like to talk to himself. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. <laughs> uh, okay, well, so I'm actually going to come to you. So here, I think, you know, Gary has another great point, and we are simply going to be building on this. So this is going to be really managing expectations and managing roles. Now, when you look at the roles in a, a project team, it gets really, really hard. People don't really understand what their roles are, why they are the ones who are making the decision. Why not somebody else? And if they are making the decision, what do they need to think about? Sometimes I have seen, let's say you might be in marketing. And sales and marketing, they just think in, in very binary fashion. Again, not picking on them, but they just think that you know everything is supposed to be simple. <laughs> in the case of ERP, ERP systems are not supposed to be simple. The decisions that you are making you know, they are going to have implications of everything that you might. So let's say if you have to manage the expectation, you have to manage the roles in a team uh, where you are doing the uh, ERP implement. How would you do that, Bob? Well, so hopefully they'll have Dave or myself will be on that team because we're the kind of unicorns that understand the whole business from front to back. But to kind of build on some of these some of these pieces that we've been talking about, you know, one place to start, right, just, you know, a simple thing is, first of all, to kind of ease everyone's is we're not rebuilding our business, right? We make widgets. So you kind of go like, hey, guys, when I put this ERP system in place, I'm, we're not going to make new widgets. We're still going to make the same widgets. It's just that when I put information in, I'm going to put information in this computer as opposed to this computer. So you kind of like just go like kind of start simple, right? The next piece is you really got to get them all in the room at the same time. So one of the best ways to do that is, again, not look at the system, not talk about, but just conceptually go like walk through, but everyone in the same room, go just take take the you know ops and do an end-to-end process roadmap about what are your, like, what do you need? When you're doing a daily, you know, like, what do you need to do? When you enter an order, what's important to the customer? What are your customer telling you? What, what information does the customer require of us to be in our system? Just kind of like start to write those things down. And then start to figure out, so you're kind of building out the orders. Then you start to work to the ops guy and the material guy. and just, You start to build up these processes and start figuring out, 
And you also talk to them about why these things are important to each other, why the sales order needs to have the right part number, why the part number needs to have the right bill of materials, why all these things, because they're all tied together. And you're kind of helping them connect the dots conceptually. So you're kind of building this process roadmap. And at the same time, and this is one of my favorite things, right, is so I want to go back on one of the things that Chris kind of Chris hit on it. You do at some point, you may have to show them, right, because there were, I think Chuck, you may have to show them. So you may have to do, again, a little legwork and say, here's what it looks like in the system and build some little demos and kind of like really show them exactly what you're talking about, because they may not get there by you telling them. You may have to actually show them what you mean by that. Like, here's a little demo. Hey, if we put the customer part number here, this is what it looks like over here when I print it out here. And everyone goes, oh, okay, I get it. So again, you got to start to help connect those dots. But the one thing, my favorite thing was in the end of the day was, you know, the project manager trying to implement these projects. I would say to them, is like, let's be very clear. When we go live, when live happens, Bob Feathers isn't entering a sales order. Bob Feathers isn't doing inventory transactions. Bob Feathers isn't doing a pack list. Bob Feathers isn't printing out a bill of material. You guys have got to learn this. You are the owners of these processes. I'm going to walk away and, you know, like go like go to my next project. You guys really need to, you got to really invest in that process and really establish. Again, we talked about, you know, these roles, like you've got to establish, like you are the owner of inventory. You're the owner of inventory today. You're responsible for inventory. That means that you're responsible for inventory in ERP. And how those transactions go into ERP. And when people have problems with ERP inventory transactions, they're not going to come to me. They're going to go to you because you're responsible. And you're the purchasing person. You're responsible that purchase orders are correct. And that they get entered. And they have the right vendor. And they have the right, you know, like all these things. And so you really have to establish those roles early on. And they're part of the conversation. But have them in the room at the same time so they understand this. And then when you get to that IT, you know, when you get to that testing phase, that user, is you also have them in the room. You have this kind of end-to-end test, like let's enter an order, and you start to kind of go through the process together and then see how the, the dots connect. And then when something doesn't work, you go, oh, wait, oh, I see what happened here. Because you also have to understand the pain points. If you do this wrong, it messes up what I do. And if, you know, I do this wrong, it's going to mess up what you do. And really kind of make them understand those connection points so everyone's not in the silo. Uh, so again, if you can get them all in the same room, uh, and today with Zoom, I might be, you know, maybe not physically, but again, uh, get them in the same room. So that's one component that I would suggest. And I just got to throw one little other piece is if you're doing this and you have a fairly large team, I'm going to tell you this is get a project coordinator, not a project manager, a project coordinator, because they are your sergeant at arms and they are gold. Because the other thing you want to take care of is you literally want to take care of the health and wellness of your team. So you want to make sure you create a space of safety that they're like, you're relieved of duty of your day-to-day. And when these people are in this room or in this space, you are not to talk to them. They are be left alone. And this person helps get those people in the room. It helps to, you know, whether they're traveling, maybe you have people coming from like arranging travel and, you know, arranging the food. So when you're in the room or you're doing that training, you know, if you aren't in person, which we were, that there's food being provided and there's kind of breaks being provided. And that person is just kind of helping you keep everyone happy because you know, when you have people in a room for eight hours a day, you don't want them thinking like, oh, when's my next meal? It's like that person's the carrot. All of a sudden they're like, okay, guys, it's break time. Here's the snack. And they're like, oh, great. So you want them concentrated and focused on the implementation, not on when my next meal is coming, when my next break is coming. So a project coordinator can be a huge gold mine to really just help keep your project and your people happy and keep them focused on the work at hand, you know, the work at hand. So, yeah. So very interesting commentary there. And, uh, you know, the way you are describing this, I like to call this as more of the rich people's problem. And I'll tell you why I call that, <laughs> because when you have the, you know, project manager, project coordinator, you know, in when you are in the software world and right now in the software world, in the manufacturing world, the only person you have is going to be Bob Feathers. Uh, OK, you are not going to have anybody else, just one person. And typically for the consultants, let's say if we are doing the implementation, sometimes the businesses feel that, hey, I'm paying you. You are supposed to do everything you <laughs> and they don't even understand why they the users should be testing. Testing is always, they just don't take it very seriously when they are looking at testing. And we all know how the, the go live goes. So let's say, Bob, you have to coach somebody what, what is the importance of testing and you have to build a consensus on the part of testing that people should be involved and they should be in scenarios before go live. How would you do this? Uh, hard way or soft? Hard love or soft love? Uh, you know, right? It's It really is, again, you've got to kind of walk the walk with them. You've really got to spend the time. So kind of we talked about really in the beginning piece, right? And Chuck touched upon it. It's like, what, is this, what does this do for me? 
right? How is this going to affect my life? And what do I get out? What's the value proposition? So you probably really start there. It's like really kind of work through that value proposition for them and how that process is going to help them and how this tool is going to you know, make their life better. But you kind of have to show them. So I would say it's more the loving, you know, hold, hand holding and being nice uh, with a little tough love you know, rolled in because uh, when you're, you know, testing forms, I've had this again, the horror story was, right, you know, test your forms, make sure your forms work, make sure you do this, make sure you test. I'm not your babysitter. And then we go live and they're like, I can't print bill of ladings. Why not? Well, I didn't really test that earlier on. I didn't realize the form didn't out right. Da, 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 da. All right. Well, here we are and we're going live. So now we're going to have to get the developer, you know, make that happen. So I think it really is just, you got to get them in there and just gotta, you just gotta, you gotta work with them. And again, try to be nice, but in the end, you gotta be a little tough because like a pack said, when you go live, Bob Feathers isn't going to hit your bill of lady, man. You better figure it out. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Bob, for that. So, Chuck, I'm actually coming to you. So, we are simply going to build on uh, this story itself uh, about the importance of testing. And that is something I personally always struggle with when I am in the implementation. Just because even if you try to coach, companies just don't understand, especially if this is going to be their first ERP implementation. So, let's say if you were to build the consensus on the importance of testing, how would you do it? I think it's pretty simple. I think really what you have to do is you have to put each person in the seat of their internal customer, whatever their output is. You need to teach them to learn to live with that output. Now, that it, that takes some handholding. But, you know, if I'm going to, you know, I, I love what, you know, what Bob said about, you know, making people, you're responsible for this this process. Okay. All right. I'm entering the sales order. Okay, who gets the sales order? I'm going to have somebody else enter the sales order. I'm going to make you now take it. And the really interesting thing is, is that when you go downstream from the process that you are most familiar with, every single person relishes almost in the joy of pointing out all the problems. You can't do it that way because it causes this issue. You can't do it that way because it causes this issue. So much of the ERP implementation actually has to work backward. I mean, in theory, if you could start everything, okay, from customer receipt of that product to tracking number of that product to shipping of that product to moving inventory over into shipping to picking that product to putting that product away and black. But if you can put someone downstream of where they are, and I know that's a tall order. But if you can truly put someone downstream of their own process, okay, they're going to be forced to take a look at it from a different eye. Uh, everything about ERP really and truly should work in reverse. However, that's a tall order. As you said, Sam, you know, if you're a manufacturer, you know, your budget, you know, <laughs> doesn't provide an awful lot. And when am I going to have the ability to put those people into an island to do this work? Because the product's still got to keep moving. You know, the, the dollars still have to keep flowing. The reports have to be done. The taxes have to be paid. The customers are not going to wait. Um, so it's a it's a very tall order. But, you know, in, in that ideal world, put them downstream. OK, then let them see the result of the testing when someone else messes it up. They'll speak up. They'll speak up. So very interesting insights and, and commentary there. So we are going to give a little bit of, you know, different spin uh, based on another story that I have from Mike. Uh, and that is going to be slightly more about the accountability, uh, also the understanding of their roles in the process so when let's say if you are working with somebody and by the way i mean this goes back to the salespeople. we both know chuck i mean the salespeople are really good at reading between the lines okay <laughs> <laughs> and you know when somebody did not understand when they are claiming that they really understood the implication of the decision okay when you are talking to somebody in marketing hey i got it i got it i understand what virtual warehouse is i know how that is going to impact my process we know that they don't really understand. Okay, now the second question, uh, that is going to be related to the testing. Okay, we ask them, okay, did you test? Oh yeah, it's all good, uh, everything is perfect. <laughs> and then it's gonna go live and then they are going to come back. It's not gonna work, what did you test? Oh, I forgot the scenario and that's why I did not. So let's say if you <laughs> have to build the accountability for the person who does not understand what the expectations are from them and how to really Think from the perspective of a tester or the software developer, how would you coach them or, or, or build the consensus uh, with them? I think I might surprise you a little here. My entire life in my current career and for decades has been about getting people to say yes. But honestly, at some point, 
we're dancing around it. Consensus isn't always possible. Sometimes it's not a little tough love. Sometimes it's a lot of tough love. Okay. And if they're going to go in, they're going to placate me by giving me lip service on the testing, whether it be initial testing, you know, you just kind of dip your toe in the water or whether it be UAT, you know, I'm sorry. Sometimes in these types of projects, you're going to find that you don't have the right staff for the job which is not to say you're going to clean house, okay? Again, my job is to get people to say yes for a living, okay? But I have done this, and I guarantee you that there is someone along the way who is not suitable for the end result, particularly as the team increases in size. So if they're going to play me lip service on that user testing, it's going to get real, real fast. And honestly, that's where, you know, Chris, don't involve the leader. That's the role for the executive. Here's the deal. You're setting the tone, okay? You have to be the champion for this. There is a role. You're cheerleader, okay? You are a cheerleader, and you have to be able to continue to drive that project forward, preferably with enthusiasm or at the very least, um, straight-faced acceptance. Um, So there is a role for that executive. Other than that, it has to be, I've set the tone. You're going to need to move forward. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is sometimes. Okay, love it. Uh, thank you so much, Jack, for that. So, Dave, we are going to be building on this point. So, what are some of the red signals that you should be looking at when you know that you are either going to be building a consensus or maybe this person is not really the right fit in the team? So, what are some of the red flags that you have seen in your experience that you know that, you know, this is not going to work out? Yeah, I've, I've seen it on both sides. I've seen it from a leadership perspective. Uh, where you know pretty early on there's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of heel digging in and you know no I, I you know we really like uh, you know how this system generates this particular report and can we can we maybe take this field and move it over here so it looks real similar to you know the other system that we have uh, and I've seen it out you know from an operation standpoint you know at, at different levels uh, from that side too and and to kind of Chuck's point yeah, sometimes you don't you don't have everybody uh, in the right place, and uh, some changes ultimately come through. On the leadership side of things, the easy things to point out are somebody that uh, is is you know that resistant to change, right? As you start to talk about business operations and start to dial into you know what does the system need to do? How do these processes currently work so you can understand you know how to how to fit that into best practices from a, a, a implementation standpoint? You get a pretty quick gauge. At least I used to get a pretty quick gauge because the conversation was really uh, mostly one-sided. Uh, as those questions would come up, you'd, you wouldn't get a lot of response. You wouldn't get a lot of engagement. You wouldn't get a lot of questions coming back at you like, man, how can we, so we have this situation, uh, you know, from a process standpoint, how can we handle that in the new system, right? Those would be questions uh, to point out for somebody, okay, well, looks like we have, you know, a champion on our hands uh, versus somebody that's going to dig their heels in and say, you know, well, I, I don't think this is really going to work. You know, it, when you start to um, talk about, so you, you'll love this, Sam, you know, standard costing, right? That was one of the key categories that, and Bob too, one of the key categories we would start having conversations around and, you know, setting standards for standard costing. And you'd start to ask, you know, okay, well, how does this production line, you know, work and and what standards are we going to be working through to, to set all of those? Throughout all of those conversations, you could almost immediately point to the people that weren't going to make it from a champion standpoint. And ultimately kind of to Chuck's point, right, we're, we're not going to be around a long time because, you know, it's, you could tell very quickly as you start to engage and ask process related questions, they didn't have any idea, you know, like they had no idea what was going on in their business. And so it was going to be very challenging for them to uh, be able to not only wrap their head around that part of it, but then also wrap their head around uh, the system implementation side of it. And then, oh, by the way, be the cheerleader for the rest of their team and grab all of those people because everybody, back to what Chuck said earlier, right? Every, what's in it for me? How is my life going to change? And the people on the ground floor, they're they're the ones that kind of need a lot of that cheerleading and 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 saying like look here's how you're going to benefit from this system implementation here's all the advantages that we can now do because we have access to data versus 
um, you know, what we're stuck with with our current system. So to me, that that operations leader, that champion, whoever it is in, in your particular structure, if they're not on board and if they're not asking questions and engaging to say like, hey, how can we handle this situation? Can, boy, do you th- now that we have access to this data, do you think that we could, you know, maybe drop packing lists off uh, automatically, you know, kick them right out of the printer? Do you think that we could kick off shipping labels automatically? You know, if if people if you're ops manager or whomever is supposed to be the champion, if they're not asking questions like that, red flag. Okay, amazing. So now we are going to attack this question from a slightly different perspective. So let's say uh, we are talking about cheerleading, and sometimes I call this as over cheerleading. And especially if the over cheerleading is going to come to executives. Uh, and I would say, in my experience, 50% of the executives, they don't really understand the nuances that are going to be associated with these decision making. From their perspective, they are going to say, hey, make the customer experience look like Southwest uh, or uh, you know airlines. And that's it. You know, I'm asking, okay, how do you want the, the UOMs to look like? How do you want the, the base currency to look like? Now, these are key business decisions that needs to be discussed. And you need to understand the implications on the operational processes. But they just don't care enough. So let's say if you're dealing with that executive, how would you build the consensus in this situation? Dave. Thanks, Sam. So g- give me that first snapshot again. I'm sorry. I want to make sure I got it clear. So let's say if the leader itself is doing the lip service, they don't got really it. understand. Yeah. 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 So in, in, in that situation, it's going to be very short lived, right? Because <laughs> at the end of the day, the truth is going to come out very quickly in the lip service situation. And it's almost recipe for immediate failure. Like I, I made a comment, you know, but it really speaks to the same part. Like if if the if the, um, you know, the leader is giving the lip service and saying, yes, 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 we're doing all these things. We're taking care of this. It's going to come out in the implementation. You're going to see it in the data, like almost immediately. And all of the users are going to fail from a uh, just a, an operations uh, standpoint because they don't have the tool. Like they've not, not been given the training. They they don't understand, you know, what the expectation is. Like back to what Chuck said about, you know, getting people getting people at different points of the process to look at the work output or work input. All of that works well when you've got somebody, you know, kind of leading the charge and setting the tone for what's expected and how we're going to work together to solve these challenges and get this system implemented. So to your point, when you have a leader that's just giving lip service, that stuff is super easy to see right through from a executive level. And, you know, the people on the floor, they've been dealing with this for a long, long time. I guarantee it. And so when you start to engage them and have those camp conversations, you're going to get more information than you ever bargained for uh, uh, from a story perspective. And it'll be pretty quick to make a, a, a change and a decision. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave. So we are going to do a really super quick round of closing advice. Just one word. Uh, Chris, one word, please. Closing advice. Build consensus early and often. Okay, amazing. Bob, closing advice, please. Happy birthday to my mother. My, my mother's birthday is tomorrow. Create your why. Love it. Thank you so much, Bob. Chuck, closing advice, please. Uh, the, the executive of the organization needs to be providing what the future vision is. The whole point of ERP is what you're going to be in a year or five years from now, not today. Love it. Thank you so much, Jack. Dave, one word closing advice, please. Engage the people. Love it. That's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much uh, for being here. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. So make sure you are not going to miss next week's show. We are going to be here. On that note, thank you so much, everyone, for your time and insights again. Thanks, everybody. Good seeing you guys. Thanks, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Chuck Coxhead, head over to Procensus.com. It's P-R-O-C-E-N-S-I-S.com. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to TurnkeyTech.com. It's T-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to the Chrysler.club. It's T-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R dot C-L-U-B. If you want to learn more about Ba Feathers, head over to Bindable.com. It's B-I-N-D-A-B-L-E dot com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Pam Fox Rollin, who discusses how to drive cross-functional clarity in a siloed organization. Also, the interview with Darren Mitchell, 
who discusses the challenges and strategies of people, processes, technologies, and products at each stage of his growth through inflection points. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.